This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, contributor at Cleveland.com, coming at you guys on what is Monday night. Taking a look at uh, draft grades and all of those fun things that come this time of year. If you have not listened, myself and pro football focus analyst and Browns Film Breakdown contributor, Brendan Leister, broke down both the uh, day two picks, which were Greedy Williams and Sione Taki Taki. So those are available as well as we broke down Monday, or sorry, Friday, Thursday nights, excuse me, first round uh, that the Browns were inactive in, but still tons of interesting picks. So if you did not get a chance to listen to those, please do so. Also available, I went on 92.3 Sunday and gave some review on these Browns picks, so you can find that there as well. Other pieces that have been put out, um, I put out a piece on Greedy Williams in a film room, Cleveland.com, and then also put out a piece on Sione Takitaki just today on the on the. Uh, film room side of things for cleveland.com so if you have some time check those out i think you're going to find that those players are fascinating probably fit fit the brown skill set more than more than we think and 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 you're gonna find some answers for who those guys are as players we'll speak later this week to some of those guys beat writers in their area for who they are as people a couple interesting stories about their character personality have overcome quite a bit both of them so uh, should be fun to take a look there for today we're going to jump in sort of do our own draft grade, player analysis, undrafted free agent, uh, players to keep an eye on. Uh, My guy Dame Brugler's coming on from The Athletic. He'll give us some good insight. The Browns have somehow become connected to Gerald McCoy tonight, Buccaneers defensive tackle. Keep that in mind as somebody they might be able to move, say, Duke Johnson in a future uh, draft pick for. Just keep that in mind. But we don't know anything for certain. The Browns left the draft without any defensive linemen uh, drafted, which caught a lot of us by surprise. Doesn't necessarily mean that they won't add over the next two months as the sort of dry season begins. If you remember last year, they added Michael Kendricks in early June. So uh, many things could happen. Rosters are far from finished. OTAs, mini camps, injuries, things like that shake things up all the time. So the Browns will certainly be active in uh, looking to add talent over the next two months. I will apologize before we get started here. The audio quality is not perfect. Had to do this interview at work. Dane's schedule is a little bit tight. So hopefully you guys can get over that because I think he's going to give you some fantastic insight on who some of these players are that we don't necessarily know a lot about yet. I will get to Sheldrick Redwine, who is not a Game of Thrones character, surprisingly enough. We'll get to him uh, in a film room this week as well, so keep your eye out for that. And then we'll do some more OBR film room pieces as well with some of the later round picks. So if you're interested in those things, there will be plenty of content out to eat up on these Browns draft picks and undrafted free agent targets that they prioritize. So let's finally pull in somebody else other than myself, get some opinions from somebody I respect in the business. Let's jump over to today's guest. All right, guys, excited to bring back Dame Brugler, the Athletics 
Um, NFL draft analyst, really excited to bring him back after we had him on earlier before the draft process. Want to get a lot of his thoughts on the Browns draft. Dane, how you doing today, sir? Doing well, Jake. How are you doing? I'm great, man. Can't complain. It's a Monday after an exciting entertainment weekend of Game of Thrones and Endgame and ready to settle back in and talk football, man. So let's let's do this first. Let's let's talk. I thought maybe this year more so than many years I've paid close attention, Dane, that it felt like there was a big disconnect between what the Browns or sorry, not the Browns. Sorry, but what you know, people who I respect in the industry who prepare, put out the um, you know, player handbooks, things like that, draft preview guys, which you put out a great one this year. Uh, just sort of across the media valuations of players in terms of where they would go in the draft. I felt like that worked out a lot different than necessarily what the NFL thought and where they took players. There can be a lot of nuances that go into that, but I saw a lot of people that I respect, for example, uh, label Hakeem Butler is, is wide receiver number one in their rankings and he goes fourth round. So just sort of speak to the whole of where that maybe went a little bit sideways this year. You know, it's hard to say because I think each each prospect has an individual story or circumstance where, you know, those things happen. Um, you know, a guy like Hakeem Butler, I never understood it. You know, people went goo-goo-gaga over him, and I get it. I mean, he's, uh, you know, a guy that's at that size. When you're talking about 6'5", almost 230 pounds, runs in the 4'4", 35-inch arms. Uh, some of the splash plays that he has on tape, I, I get the excitement, but you take away the splash plays and just the body of work, I, I, I wasn't too impressed. Um, he was my number nine receiver, um, and I kept saying throughout the process that he's much more of a uh, late two, early three than anyone that should be considered near the first round. And, I, you know, a lot of teams even had him later than that. Uh, obviously, he went the first pick in the fourth round. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of uh, traits are great, but the difference between uh, the NFL and college is the technical skill. And that's something that Hakeem Butler does not have. Uh, I've heard, you know, heard people telling me he was a good route. He's not a good route runner. He's not. And uh, to me, at least I, that's not what my eyes told. My eyes told me he is a very raw route runner. Sure, he can run a whip route. And, you know, there's, he can give me an, you can give me an example of little things that he does here and there. But as you know, the full body of work, he's just not a good route runner and he struggles to be a consistent finisher. And, but he makes these highlight reel plays against big 12 corners. And, uh, you know, so he Butler is just one of those things where I, the body of work just was never impressive to me. Uh, I think the Cardinals got good value though. And with the first pick in the fourth round, I certainly understand them going there at that point. Uh, but, you know, even like a greedy Williams, uh, it, they're just, they're concerns about, you know, the talent, is a first round talent, but their concerns about competitive nature, how he kind of uh, took a foot off the gas pedal a little bit in November when the season was kind of after that Alabama game, you know, you watch him and he just didn't look like the same player. And part of that was just him protecting himself, you know, didn't want to get hurt. Uh, you know, once LSU was kind of out of the national title hunt and, uh, you know, he kind of put it in cruise control. And on one hand, you can understand that, but on the other hand, Okay, what happens when, you know, he's in a contract year and, you know, it's uh, maybe the Browns are uh, just happen to be, I don't know, uh, you know, eight and six and they need to win, uh, you know, two more games to get to the playoffs. And uh, you just, you know, all those things go into it. And so it's there's always going to be more to a story than just what we see on paper. Uh, And so much of that is just a circumstance of what a player's you know, the competitive nature, everything going on behind the scenes. Can you trust the player? 
And I also think we have to consider too that, um, you know, like my draft guide, like if, if, uh, like I have my top 50 receivers laid out, teams don't have 50 receivers on their board where, okay, if we don't get 15, we'll just get 16 or we don't get 16. We'll just get 17 on the list. Like that's just not how it works. A lot of teams have at most 150 names on their draft board overall. And some teams have even less under a hundred. And so they pick out specific players they want to go after and go after them. I mean, talkie talkie is a perfect example from BYU, uh, the Browns third round pick. If the Browns don't take him in the third round, he might not go in the top 100 picks. But the Browns felt like they didn't want to risk waiting until the fourth round to get him because that was one of their top linebackers on their draft board. So, you know, it's just one of those things where if a player doesn't go high, yeah, he might not have been on half of the boards around the league for various reasons. Could be medical, could be character, could be just a scheme fit. So there's so many things that go into this uh, more so than just, uh, well, he fell uh, further than we thought on draft day. Yeah, fascinating stuff. I think there's a disconnect between people seeing highlight clips on Twitter or whatever, uh, things that pop right. up, and just associating a talent level with a player without digging in. I think that happens a lot. You talked about greedy. Um, I think you're, you're spot on with some of the stuff that has caused people a little bit of hesitation. The competitive nature is certainly one that comes up. Tough to see on film, so when I broke him down at Cleveland.com, I'm just looking at traits. What about his game did you mm-hmm. really love, Dane? He's a tall, long athlete, and that's a great place to start. And we know uh, John Dorsey loves team speed. He talks about it a lot. It's one of the core principles of uh, when he builds a team. He wants team speed, and Greedy Williams fits that at four three seven forty yard dash. Uh, now he's a guy that during the process did not run a three come, did not run a short shuttle. So there's some questions about you know is he trying to hide something. You know, whatever at the combine, uh, he he said it was cramping, and at the pro day, he just decided not to do it. Uh, but still, in a straight line, speed not a question. Um, this is a guy who, uh, when he does a nice job staying in phase, and so he does a nice job getting his hands on the football. Uh, he had 28 passes defended over 25 starts. Uh, you know, anything over you know one pass defended per game is an outstanding ratio. Um, so I, I feel good about his ability to locate the football, his ball skills. Uh, didn't always make the interception. There are times where it went off his hands, but you know he's at least locating the football and mm-hmm. you know putting himself in position to make those plays. Um, I think there's a lot to like about his ability to read and react. Um, sometimes that works against him. He'll uh, you know he'll bite, but he does a nice job of recovering. And so you know you rarely see spacing issues uh, on his film. Now the biggest concerns I think are just the the body type. You know he's six one seven eighths almost six two but he's only 185 pounds he has kind of that wiry muscle tone to him Mm -hmm. um and so that lack of play strength will show at times uh he'll leave production on the field in the run game uh and you know just uh with him you just worry about durability can you know just staying healthy because he is an aggressive player and so uh just against nfl level uh receivers and backs and you know making those tackles can he stay on the football field stay healthy that that's obviously one of the bigger concerns um and i think the biggest reason he fell to the second was just you know, we like we mentioned earlier just uh the ability to stay competitive and you know he's got a young daughter and you know, i'm sure he was thinking about providing for his family and there's a yeah. lot of family influences in his life um and that turned off some teams but again where the browns got him tremendous value i, I mean i applaud the browns for kind of moving up a little bit to get him 
Yeah, exciting traits. I think some of those things that, you know, allow a guy like that in a position as valuable as corner to slide, you have to sort of keep an eye on that at the same time. So let's move to uh, Sione Takitaki. I, I just wrote on him. I tried to watch as much as I could. Crash course him over the weekend, seven games. I see a lot of positional versatility. I see a guy who's getting mm. comfortable playing inside the box linebacker a little bit this past year, more of a defensive end when he arrived, went through some struggles, suspensions, kicked off the team. All that stuff. 2017 was more of an edge player. I think he had around 650 edge snaps. Then more of an off-the-ball linebacker in 2018. Some exciting trades, Dane. Guy looks like he can run in open space, uh, set an edge still, can certainly play coverage. I thought he had a better feel for coverage than I thought he would necessarily, transitioning as he did. Not great yet, um, but, but certainly a guy getting there. And then a guy who I think is going to be pretty sound and run fits. Now, tackling was an issue. 21 mm-hmm. tackles. In, uh, in just 2018 alone. But some of that stuff to me was correctable. Just your thoughts in general on uh, Taki Taki and, and the Browns getting him at 80. Yeah, no, I think you nailed him. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said, starting with the versatility. Uh, he was primarily an edge player uh, in that scheme earlier in his career. Uh, and then his senior year, he moved to a more uh, – he, he split his time between the mic and the will position. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, th- so that positional versatility is key. Uh, tested really well, uh, you know, for a player that's 6'1", 240 pounds, ran in the 4'6", low 4'6s. Um, I think that we saw the same things in terms of as a run defender where uh, he's he's quick to see it and go and attack, and he can mirror well. Uh, I really like his backfield vision, but he doesn't play with a lot of patience, and so he'll attack before necessarily making the right read, and so mm-hmm. that'll lead to overrunning. Uh, the ball carrier, or you know, not calming his feet at the at the contact point to make a sound wrap tackle. Um, so there are times where I, I included in my report how he made, or there was a lot of quote unquote almost tackles on his tape. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot to like about him as an athlete, uh, as a versatile player who you know you think can fit different uh, uh, different roles, can wear different hats in your scheme. But it's just about consistency for him and you know, getting better. And, the, you know, the character stuff doesn't sound like that's as much of a, a worry anymore. It seems like that was more just immaturity in his past. He, he credits his, his wife, Alyssa, a former BYU swimmer, as kind of the, the guiding light in his, his life. Uh, yeah. uh, so hopefully that is the case. And it's not something, you know, obviously the Browns were comfortable with, with the character. Um, but, you know, it's a guy that uh, he flips the switch when he's on the football field and you see that play speed, you see the toughness, you see the determination. So you just hope that the coach, and now it's up to the coaches, you know, he has the traits. Now it's up to the coaches to kind of reel him back, mold him a little bit, add some more patience, technique, discipline to his game. And, uh, you know, if he's able to do that, then you have a starting linebacker on your hands. Very much agree. Good points all around on Taki Taki. The thing that's interesting to me, Dane, is the Browns were one of the worst tackling teams in football this past year, and they took two guys who don't necessarily have a forte in tackling. So they got their work cut out for them with this new coaching staff. Next guy up is Sheldon, uh, sorry, Sheldrick Redwine. I, I was out of left field for me. You study this stuff for a living. You do a great job with it. I, I've, I've sort of couldn't do as much as I wanted to do. So when I heard this name, to be honest, I had not even heard it. So I had to go back and look. I've looked at a little bit on Redwine. But, um, you know, seems like a guy who can play both safety positions. He did so at Miami, it seems like. Uh, but I'm not sure. I mean, I know he's a high spark tester. What do, you, what do you have on him? Yeah, you know, with Redwine, there's a uh, – watching film on him uh, from the Senior Bowl. And Dax Raymond – and I, I posted this back in January on, on Twitter, a clip, this uh, uh, clip. Dax Raymond, a tight end from uh, Utah State who um, – 
went undrafted, I believe, just torched him on a corner route. And I can't get that out of my mind when I think of Sheldrick Redwine, but he does have uh, some traits that you like because he's uh, a good-sized kid. He's a former corner, moved to safety as a junior, six foot, 196 pounds, ran the mid-4-4s. Um, he as a tackler, he needs to get better in terms of just being reliable. Um, and that's, that, that was my main issue. I need my safeties to be reliable tacklers because a, a lot of times you're the last line of defense. And that's something that, uh, is, is a big sticking point for me personally. Um, that's why I had a, a late fifth round grade on him. Uh, but he has the speed that you want. And I think because of the type of athlete that he is, you feel like his best play is in front of him. Um, I think at, at worst, he's going to be a, a, a good special teams player. And then hopefully he works his way up uh, the safety depth chart because he has the athleticism that you want. He's a smooth mover. He can play man coverage. Um, you know, he, you see him uh, find the football, uh, you know, find the ball in flight and make proper adjustments on it. So uh, he had, uh, you know, decent production in, in college. Uh, so it's all about just consistency for him, becoming a better tackler, uh, if he's going to move up the safety depth chart. I mean, hopefully, ideally, if Demarius Randall's not back, you're hopefully looking at this guy as someone who can compete for the starting free safety role next year. Um, I don't think he's there yet, but we'll, we'll see how he does as a rookie. Yeah, great point on Demarius. A contract dispute doesn't seem like they're going to get anything figured out going into his fifth-year option, so you're right. It, it, if they can get a year of progression under him and learning the scheme and feeling good in what Wilkes wants, then you would want him to compete for that role. I would imagine taking him there in the fourth round. You didn't want to risk not having that player there as insurance policy. So the next pickup, Dane, is highly contested. Some people had him as the third overall linebacker on their listings is Mac Wilson, the Alabama uh, prospect. I, I wasn't as high on him because the market share number solo tackle wise weren't very good. And I didn't think he tested very well, uh, like some of the film, but I just didn't think he did enough in college to feel good about him being an every down producer at the NFL. But, you know, Tasha Poise here, the defensive line coach now is DC in Alabama. Freddie's heavily connected to Alabama. I'm sure they vetted this. I feel like if there's one thing I'll say here, I maybe don't love the prospect, but I do love the value here. Where do you sit on Mac Wilson? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the value in the fifth round, I mean, that's where you feel comfortable taking a chance on a player like this and somewhere, um, I think it was early fourth round, I sent a text to a scout asking, okay, you know, what's going on with this player? Uh, what's, uh, why is he falling? You know, at worst, I thought he'd be maybe in the third round. Um, and the, I got back attitude issues, just that in quotes, attitude issues. And mm -hmm. so that was a big reason why he fell. But, you know, like it's a good point about uh, with, with Kitchens and his Alabama connections and you know, I'm sure they got the full story. I'm sure all the teams got the full story of Mac Wilson, which is why he was available in the fifth round. And it's just, it, you know, amount of uh, can he mature? And in the fifth round, you take a chance on a guy like that. My biggest worry with Mac Wilson was when I watched him over the summer, I got excited about him. I thought, okay, this guy, if he takes the necessary steps as a junior, you know, he's going to be, uh, you know, he can, he can be a Leighton Vanderesh. He could be a three-down player, a modern-day linebacker. But the difference was Leighton Vanderesh got better every single game. He was an ascending player. Mac yeah. Wilson, the same player I watched last summer, is the same player I saw throughout the entire season from the beginning to the end of the season. He did not show any improvement. There was no development. And the thing is, is like NFL coaches, a lot of them are arrogant. You know, they'll, they'll see a guy with traits and, you know, ability, and they'll say, okay, we'll do the rest. We'll coach him up. Well, with the guys, guys from Alabama, it's not quite like that because they know the type of coaching that these guys are getting at Alabama. So kind of that arrogance goes away when we talk about Alabama players. 
traits are great, but if they're not developing at Alabama with that type of coaching, something else is going on. Either they're not, uh, you know, is a mental where they're not just, they're not taking to it. Maybe they don't care, um, you know, whatever it is. And so I think all those things factored in and including he wasn't a great tester. Um, you know, the numbers weren't that impressive. The, the production was average. Uh, but you know, all those things go into why he fell, I mean, including the, the attitude issues. But in the fifth round, like you said, uh, no problem taking a chance on a guy like that. Great point. All great anecdotes there. We will skip uh, Austin Seibert. They selected the kicker in the fifth Thank round. You. Look, man, that kicker better be freaking good, Dane. He better be like <laughs> Phil Dawson Jr. Because taking a kicker in the fifth round didn't seem like the type of thing John Dorsey would ever do. So we'll leave it at that. He needs to be pretty damn consistent and win the job right out of camp over Greg Joseph. So one, one, th- one yeah, thing I'll say real quick is uh, the, the kicker they brought in for a workout from St. Norbert, keep yes. an eye on him. He's got a heck of a leg. Wouldn't be surprised if uh, they wanted to keep him around a little bit uh, as a guy legitimately that could win the job. So keep an eye on that kicker from St. Norbert. I'm excited to get up there to rookie minicamp and see that. Um, I've heard good things too. Next guy, Drew Forbes. I messaged you looking for some film. I've actually come across some, haven't watched it yet. Uh, so you obviously Good. know much more about Drew Forbes than I do. You have anything on him? Yeah, some uh, scout tipped me off to him uh, late last year, um, like late in the season. So I checked him out and really, really liked him. Um, he played left tackle, balanced, uh, and he's a mean dude. And he's got that bulldog mentality. Uh, started every game the last three years. Um, I really like the way he can drop his hips, open his uh, hands, and control defenders. Uh, I think all the ingredients are there for him to be uh, both mentally and physically for him to play guard in this league. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to advance to starter level uh, because when you move inside from left tackle inside, especially left tackle at a lower level, moving inside to face NFL level defenders, that's a big jump because those guys are on you uh, like that. And, you know, it's, it's something where you have to be able to adjust to that quickness and not everybody can. So trying to transition those left tackles, especially from the lower levels inside the guard is not an easy transition for a lot of these guys. But I tell you what, love what Forbes did. I I posted a a clip of him back in, I think it was January. Nasty um, finisher. Yeah, exactly. Demolishing a guy and Jim Nagy um, from the senior bowl. um, And because I'm I'm watching, I'm doing all this background work. I'm calling guys and calling people. Um, I had one person tell me he might have some, there's some medical stuff with his back and some other stuff. I'm talking to his agent. I'm talking to, you know, he didn't play in an all-star game. And I post that video of him and as I'm doing work and I had Jim Nagy message me and say that I was, I was hundred percent right that Forbes is actually one of their backups that if someone else got hurt on the offensive line, Forbes would have been their, one of their first calls, which mm-hmm. I did not know. And that, that, that was good to know that, you know, I was wondering, okay, why isn't he, he even at the NFLPA game or, you know, one of these lower, uh, you know, maybe not the senior bowl, one of the lower ones, but it's good to know that the senior bowl had eyes on him. So I was wondering why he wasn't at an all-star game, but listen, I, I really, he was one of my top small school guys this year. Um, really liked this pickup, especially where they got him in six rounds. Yeah. I feel good about it. I'll, I'll have some more opinions on him later this week. So keep your eyes peeled for that guys. I, I should have three or four games of his to study. And then lastly, Donnie Lewis, the two-lane corner. I think he, what, he had a list Frank injury or something? Maybe it wasn't a list Frank. I know he broke something at the Shrine game, right? Right. He, so no workout. He had a screw in his foot. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, no workout. We don't have a 40 on him. We don't have any any uh, official uh, testing information on him. But talk about a guy that found ways to get his hands on the football. Uh, he had over uh, 21 passes defended last year, um, almost 50 over his career. 
which is a great number. Um, and you know, good size kid. He's over six foot, 190 pounds. Uh, he plays quick. Uh, he was a former receiver in high school. So, uh, when the ball's in the air, he knows what to do, uh, to, uh, not only crowd the catch point, but go after it and make plays. Uh, he's done a nice job putting weight on his frame. He was only about 150 pounds out of high school. That's a big reason why he ended up at Tulane and not a bigger school, but he's at the 190 now. Um, and so, you know, he, he's, I still worry about the play strength in terms of, um, just being able to muscle up and, uh, you know, post up next to receivers, hold up and run support, but he's competitive. Uh, there's no question about that. And so I, I like what he can do when the ball's in the air. And even though we don't have the testing numbers, I, I thought he was about right around uh, probably a, a four, four, eight, a four, five, two type of guy. And so plenty fast enough to play in the league and, you know, the type of guy that in the seventh round, um, I gave him a PFA grade, but in the seventh round, no problem taking a chance on, uh, the type of traits that we think he has, uh, even without the testing numbers but then also the production that he put up throughout his career. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully they can find something with that shot in the dark. A couple guys they brought in uh, UDFA-wise. I wanted to see if you had any notes on them. If you don't, we can skip them, but we could at least mm -hmm. talk about them. Darren Hall, the Pittsburgh running back, big bowling ball type guy. Uh, any thoughts on Darren Hall, Pittsburgh? Yeah, a guy that, I mean, uh, really, uh, Quadri Olison, who from, a running back from Pitt, who was drafted, he was kind of the starter. Hall came in and uh, you know, first of all, he's a local kid. He's from Youngstown, Austintown Fitch. And he uh, went over a thousand yards his senior year. First time, I believe, first time in Pitt history. They had two thousand yard rushers in the same year. Uh, but this guy was he's really productive. Yeah, he averaged 7.5 yards per carry. Uh, he had double digit touchdowns. Uh, and so I think, you know, even all even though Allison was the starter, Hall did enough where, you know, they couldn't keep him off the field. Uh, he tested fairly well uh, for uh, for a bigger back. He's almost 220 pounds, but he ran in the low four fives. So, you know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, one cut and go. Um, he's not a guy that's overly elusive, but give him, let him take one cut and, and he'll make something happen. So um, I, Hall is a nice free agent pickup and a guy that if he can prove that you can trust him as a uh, pass protector and as a, as a receiver, you know, he could carve out a role for himself. Good deal, good deal. Brian, uh, looks like here, help me out. You could know this guy. You, you're, pay, you're, you're the man, so I'm going to try this one. Brian Finian Ganofo from Idaho State. Am I saying that wrong? You might know it. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, – I think I have a pronunciation on him. Um, let me pull it up here. I like to test I do, I do. Yeah. Oh, no, he's a really good tester. Uh. Finny Oganofo. Yeah. Yeah. You're close. Pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good size kid. Uh, you know, six, six, 305 pounds. Uh, it was left tackle for him. Injuries were the biggest thing for him. He, he had a tough time staying healthy over his, uh, over his career. And, you know, I know, uh, the Jags were all over him. Uh, they, they liked him a lot. That's how I actually, how I was tipped off to him, uh, throughout the process. The Jacksonville Jaguars really liked him. Um, he had an ACL over his career, um, this past year, um, I can't remember what injury he had this year, but injuries were a big part of uh, his career. But when he was on the field, uh, he liked the length, uh, he was able to slow down rushers, uh, speed didn't really stress him out, uh, at, at edge speed. Um, he needs to do a better job sustaining in the run game, but uh, you know, he has traits to work with. He, he tested really well. Like you said, six, six, three Oh five with 34 and a half inch arm. If he can work on his technique, and I mean, he's the perfect kind of pet project for an offensive line coach. Uh, work on that uh, technique, work on the discipline, 
uh, you know, that's the type of guy that you put on the practice squad, uh, you know, let him develop for a year and see what you have next year in training camp. Absolutely. Good insights, my friend. Wyatt Ray, uh, Boston College, the end, anything on him? Well, I think maybe the most uh, interesting thing about Wyatt Ray is he's the grandson of Nat King Cole, uh, wow. which is, yeah, that, that might be what he's best known for. But yeah, he put together a pretty solid senior year. He was kind of uh, in Harold Landry's shadow a little bit uh, at mm-hmm. BC. And then this past year as a senior, had a chance to uh, be the guy. And he had nine sacks. So he didn't, and four of those were in one game. I believe it was the Wake Forest game. Um, so that Wake Forest game was uh, a, a big time uh, performance for him. Just used that uh, right tackle, uh, just abused him the entire game. I, I, he flashes a lot, but I don't, I don't know if he has the power where he can be an edge setter and you know beat blockers with power. Just he relies too much on quickness, and I don't know. I just don't know if he has enough to survive as a pass rusher, especially because he did test overly well at. What six three two fifty five? I think around there. He's in the yeah. four eight and the forty, and you know the ten yard split wasn't great. The three cone wasn't great. So I don't. I think he's gonna have a tough time making a roster. But you know, as a guy that was productive as a pass rusher in college, not a bad guy to take a chance on. Last one I have for you here is, is safety JT Hassel from Florida Tech. Did you get a chance to look at anything on him? Uh, you know, I did, and I bumped him up because he. Uh, his testing is what really caught my eye. Um, you know, he was, he's about 5'11", 200 pounds. And then he ran, uh, 4'3", I want to say, mm-hmm. uh, which is ridiculous. 42 in the vert, um, 10'1 in the broad jump. Um, his three cone was sub seven seconds. So he put me, uh, the testing numbers, like I didn't know much about him, but the testing numbers, uh, really caught my eye. And so that's what kind of directed me to him. And then his tape was, it's up and down. And, you know, you watch him and it's hard to really, uh, you know, with a competition that he's facing and especially because um, he played like a linebacker role for them. Yeah. So, you know, getting a, a you know, trying to transition that because he's going to be a safety uh, at the next level at only 200 pounds. So I think what you're looking at with Hassel is, okay, with that type of speed, the toughness, uh, the athleticism, this guy may be able to come in from day one and be uh, a special teams contributor for us. Yeah, yeah. or at the bare minimum, you could get a good practice squad guy to certainly give a good look on Sundays, too. So um, the last one, we'll, we'll, I, I, actually, that's it. We've covered all of them. Those are the ones that are worth going. I know you have a time uh, time barrier here. So the last thing I'll mention is the kicker. Dane was mentioning earlier, guys, was St. Norbert kicker Spencer Thompson-Myers. So keep an eye on that name yep. as we move forward. Uh, otherwise, Dane, thanks for your time, my man. If you guys don't follow Dane, he's at DP Brugler on Twitter. He's the NFL draft analyst at The Athletic. He put out a guide that was well worth his subscription to The Athletic if you don't already have one. Um, just keep an eye on him throughout the year, man. He's going to write great stuff on prospects. And then as you get to this time, you can be smart, the, the most intelligent guy around the water cooler. So, Dane, thanks, buddy. I always appreciate your time. Anytime. I appreciate that, Jake. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, we'll be back. I'm going to try to get a little bit of a deeper dive on some of the Browns prospects, get some local beat writers on, talk to them about who these guys are as players. So keep an eye out for that later in the week. Until then, go Browns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.